Now, Pastor Rick will share the second message in the April series, Living Epic. So how epic has your, has your week been? I asked several people on purpose this morning about how their week was going, and, and uh, I got several interesting comments. My favorite was Brother Leon this morning when he came in the early service. I asked him, I said, how's your week been? He looked at me, and he thought, I thought he didn't understand me, didn't hear me, and he said, well, it just started this morning. So far, it's been pretty good. And, <laughs> but I had several of you say, it's been a rough week. Some of you have been sick. You've had other things going on, and uh, it's just been a rough week. And you know what? When you're just ha- having rough weeks, it's hard to um, live epic, isn't it? Somebody say amen. It's, it's hard to live epic when you're struggling just to get through. And that's the problem with us uh, as Christians today. We're not living epic lives. Yesterday I had the chance. Somebody asked me, what's this 2911 mean? And I said, I'm glad you asked. And I got to share with him. You know, and the first thing I share is, you know, we go through our scriptures, but the first thing I share with people is the problem is God's got this big, beautiful, huge, awesome dream for everybody's life, but nobody's living the dream. We're not living the dream. I mean, we're struggling just to get by. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just a battle, you know, hoping you got a, a few dollars left at the end of the week so that, you know, when you paid all the bills, there's still a little something there that you can do something else with. I mean, it's a struggle just, I, I mean, it's a struggle sometimes just to get through the day without having a, come on, some of you, having a knockdown, drag out kind of a fight, argument, or whatever. A struggle to get through the day to, to just, you know, not have the kids go totally, you know, rebellious on you and, you know, storm out the door and you got to lay down the law and give the, the, uh, the discipline that needs to be there. Sometimes it's so tough to just get through the week. There's no time left to dream epic. That's what I told you last week. An epic life begins with an epic dream. An epic accomplishment begins with an epic. And if you're not dreaming epic, if you're not dreaming about, if you've just got your mind focused on just getting through the week, You're never going to see anything epic happen in your life. So get an epic dream. Last week, we talked about accepting the challenge to live epic. And this title may sound like the same thing. No, the title is about now do it. Don't just acknowledge the fact that you need to live an epic life. It's time to do it. It's just like we talked about the Ten Commandments. We all support the Ten Commandments, right? We want them in school. We want them in, you know, in the judicial system. We want them everywhere. We want them all around, them, all around us. But who wants to be first to stand up and quote all Ten Commandments for us? Anybody? Anybody? Any takers? We say we support them, but we're not living like we support them. So a few things this morning about living an epic life. Let's have a word of prayer and jump to some Scripture. Father, I love you and I thank you, God that you are dreaming a big dream for my life, and you're dreaming a big dream for Colin's life, Lord. As we've said and we've declared this morning, God, we're gonna see you impact lives through him, not just touch him and bless him, but impact life. God, and I pray that for everyone. You have that same dream for all. God, and I thank you for dreaming big for me. You're not dreaming little puny dreams. You're dreaming big dreams, big stuff for me, God. I thank you for that, Lord, and I pray Help, help me, help us, God. Help us to, to uh, not get so tied up in all the stuff that we do, God, that we forget to dream the big epic dreams. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. How many people, here's a question for you. Throw this out right here at the beginning. How many people did you challenge to know Jesus better this week? How many people? If you have to say, um, uh, uh, 
really nobody. Then you're not living the epic dream that God called you to live. You're not becoming, becoming the person that God has called you to be. You, you were in dozens of places this week. Some of you ran hundreds of places this week. You ran into hundreds of people, potentially thousands of different needs and, and problems and hurts and pains and struggles. You ran into all this all week long, but did you do anything about it? Did you challenge anybody to know, yeah, this, y'all already getting quiet. This is going to really be in your face a little bit today, isn't it? I hope, man, I hope, I hope it tears somebody apart inside their spirit today to say, I've got to do something. Let me show you just a few things. Matthew chapter seven. Jesus says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Okay, let me say this. These verses of scripture right here, we, we, we often take them right here and we talk just about the fruit. And then there's some other verses down at the bottom. Okay, so he says, beware there are false prophets. They're, they're gonna deceive you, but... If you'll pay attention and watch their fruits, you will know them, okay? So, so by watching what they do, watching their actions, watching how they act, you will know whether they are his or not, okay? And, and then we jump down verse 21, and we kind of read that, and, and it's almost like, we read this almost like Jesus went home for the day and started again in verse 21, like these are two separate things. And when we do that, we teach, really we teach a wrong doctrine. We got to pull all of this together to see what all of this means. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now this doing, doing the will. Okay, so it's like, wait a minute now. We're talking about fruit. We're talking about doing stuff and having fruit and making things happen. And now you're saying not everyone. See, that's why, you know, if you don't pull it all together, you'll get confused and think there's two different Two different lessons here, but there's one lesson here. He says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Okay, so first of all, he's saying, we're going to know people by the fruit, the stuff they do, the way they act, the the way they talk, the things that they they say and do, and and all this, the the fruit that comes out of their life. But then he says, there are going to be people who are going to be in the time of judgment say, but wait a minute, Jesus, we had fruit. We did this and this and this. We did all this, and Jesus is going to say, nope, depart from me. Now, how do you reconcile all that? Because, see, if you take those two things, if I, pre- if I preach one of those today and come back next Sunday and preach the other, some of you are going to think I'm contradicting myself and that the Bible is contradicting himself. No, here, here's the points right here. Is here's what we're going to see if we can kind of tie this up real, real neat here. Go ahead and give me these two things. I, this is still a little, but I'll tie this up for you. There are many people doing good who are not Christians, okay? You see, what you can do is you can... Uh, perform some acts of good. And, you know, there are people out there that aren't Christians. You know, we just announced the, the brain cancer research golf tournament that uh, Jeff and Missy are putting on, and we're helping them with that at our church. You know, and there are a lot of people that give to stuff like that, and they're going to give to this tournament that aren't Christians. There are people that do good, okay? And, and that's what Jesus is saying here. They will do good. But then also, it is impossible for, to be a Christian without doing his good will. That's the two lessons that come right here. There, there's going to be fruit, and, and what is going to happen is sometimes you're going to see fruit. You're going to see good fruit in people that aren't Christians even. And, so, and sometimes you'll see that in someone who pr- claims to be a minister or a preacher. But watch them is what he's saying. Watch them, and eventually you're going to see, you're going to see the real fruit that comes right from the heart. You're going to see 
that fruit come out. And, and it's going to, going to uh, show to you, prove to you exactly who that person is. So basically here, this is all that, all that we need to concern ourselves with as far as a Christian, is that there will always, always, always be people who do good, but then also have some bad fruit because they're at the end of that verse, remember what he says, because you are workers of lawlessness. That yeah, you're doing good, but at the same time you're doing bad. There's always going to be be people who kind of have mixed fruit. Their fruit looks good for a little while, but you start watching it, you taste of it, and you realize, nah, wait a minute, it's not quite exactly that. But the important thing for you and me to remember, it it is impossible to be a Christian and to not have fruit. You must bear fruit. He talks about knowing. He talks about knowing. You don't know me. I don't know you. If we know Christ and Christ knows us, you're going to bear fruit. There's going to be something happening in your life that is going to prove that you know Jesus. Okay, Matthew 25. Let's look at this little different place. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, we've got quite a few verses of Scripture to read, so hang on with me here. And all the holy angels with him, he will sit on the throne of his glory. And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And we understand what he's talking about here. We're talking about, he's talking about righteous and unrighteous, Christians and non-Christians, okay? And he will set the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Four. Everybody say four. Okay, that's like because, or here's the reason. I mean, now we're, we're going to see the criteria for, for what is a sheep and what is a goat. Now, this is, not, this is not what I'm saying. I didn't write this, okay? This is in your Bible, all right? I didn't write this. This is what God says. Here is the criteria. This is what is, he is using to separate the sheep from the goat. And here it is. He says, I was hungry and you gave me food. Okay, now here's the two words you're going to see over and over right here. You're going to see the word I and you're going to see the word me. Now, Jesus is talking, right? And so if Jesus is talking, it's I and me, so he's talking about himself. He's not talking about, and I know he's going to relate this to others. He's going to relate this to other little ones out in the world. But he's talking about himself. He says, I and me, over and over. He says, for I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And, and, I, and I know what he's saying here. He says, he says this when the, when the righteous say, when did we see you sick? When did we see you hungry? When did we see you uh, thirsty and give you drink? And Jesus says, when, when, did, you see, or when did we see you as a stranger? and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when do we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And in verse 40, Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And I know he's talking about those that are out there, but as I was reading this this week, you know, you, we got to see Jesus in this as he is as he is sitting in heaven in the throne room now, and he's and he's watching all of this uh, all this trouble that's going on in the world. And he says, when you walk by someone and you ignore their need, he's saying, you're ignoring me. When you see someone that is hungry and you don't feed them, you're starving me. When you're not doing good, you're not doing good to me. I mean, I know he's relating it to them, but he's, he's saying I and me and I and me. He's talking about himself. As Christians, we can no longer ignore and we can no longer walk by and we can no longer do this. And then he talked to the goats. He says to the ones on the left hand, depart from me, you curse and the everlasting fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And he will answer them saying, Assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to the one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. 
And these will go away into the everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And so what is the criteria? What, is the, what are the, the two things that I see here over and over? And it's this. is that Christians see and Christians do. They're involved in seeing and doing every day of their life. It's, it's, it's part of our DNA. Is that we have to see. If, if we back up to the verse a few moments ago, we're talking about it's impossible to be a Christian and not bear fruit here again. The distinguishing characteristics between the sheep and the goats. The thing that he said that was wrong with the goats and right with the sheep was that the, the goats didn't and the sheep did. What? They saw and they did. And I don't think, you know, I, I don't think so much that the problem is with Christians today is that we don't do. The problem is mostly that we don't see. For some reason, we quit looking. We quit noticing. We quit paying attention. That's why we use the little music video just a few moments ago for you to think about that. As we're walking around, we're always busy, we're always running, we've got somewhere to go. And you know, I'm a minister, I'm a preacher, I'm a pastor. And you know what, just about everything I do in my life, I can somehow relate to ministry. And it's easy for me to run through my day and to ignore people with needs all around me because I'm, on, I'm in a hurry, I gotta go do something because I'm doing something for God. But you know what, if we're not careful, all of us will do the same thing. You know, I'm, I'm on my way to church. I'm on my way to praise team practice. You know, I got to hurry home and I got to get, I got to get the, the graphics or the videos ready for this Sunday. Or we got work day and I got to hurry over there and I got to do this. And I said this at the end and I, I, may, I may regret saying this. I said this at the end of the early service. I don't care if you never show up for another work day. If we don't do something about reaching the people that we're around every other day of our life, it doesn't matter what our church grounds look like. I, I, I don't care if, the, if they learn another single song up here. If we don't start impacting the people, not just the ones that show up on Sunday, but if we don't start impacting the people that are in our life every day of the week, it doesn't matter how many songs we know or how beautifully we sing them or play them. And you can really, really easily get caught up in, well, I'm a greeter and that's my thing I do for God. I'm on the prayer team and that's my thing I do for God. I'm involved in contacts and that's my thing I do for God. But God didn't call us to just do this work here. And, and listen, if we, lose this, if we lose sight of what God has called us to be as Church 2911, listen, we, we've all been to churches most of you have all been to churches in the past. You've been to a church that was dead, that nothing was happening. Nobody was getting ministered to. Nobody was getting saved. Nobody's life was being pulled together. None of those things were happening. But here around Church 2911, you know, one of our goals as we set is to eventually be 50%. And my personal goal is to eventually be 67% unchurched before coming to 2911. And we have over 160, over 170 attending this church right now. And 60, over 60 of those were not attending church anywhere before coming to 2911. We're getting, you know, we're, we're, you know, close to that third already. So God has blessed us, getting us to that place. But you know how we got there? We got there by opening our eyes and saying, God, show me somebody that needs. We, we got there by seeing others that weren't in church. And if we're not careful, we will get so, we'll get just like every other church anywhere else in town that's so wrapped up in doing their thing on Sunday or Wednesday or whatever time it is, they'll forget to be the church on Monday at work and on Tuesday at school and on Thursday night at the ballpark and on Friday 
out shopping or at the movie theater, wherever it is that you go. We cannot lose the call that God has given us to live an epic life, not one, one hour on Sunday, but live it every single day of the week because the Sabbath, the New Testament Sabbath, it's not a 24-hour period from sundown on Friday until sundown on Saturday. The New Testament Sabbath, Jesus said, I, I, I preached this to you a couple weeks ago. I mentioned it last week. Let me mention it again because some of you weren't here last week. But Jesus said, I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill the law. He fulfilled the Sabbath. And how did he do it? It's because we no longer hallow 24 hours a week to God. But the New Testament Sabbath is not Saturday. It's not Sunday. It is every day of the week. We have a 24-7 Sabbath. Every day has to be lived for him, hallowed for him, uh, set apart for him, uh, called, uh, called and chosen and believed to be something that he is going to do something powerful and amazing every single day that we live. That's dreaming an epic dream, to, to have our eyes open and, and see the possibilities of, of how God can impact people around us and not just on a Sunday for a little while. I need, I need some impact on Sunday every once in a while, but there are people hanging around you every day of the week that need impact more than I and more than you need it. And we, this world does everything under the sun except the right thing. We learn everything we can learn except the right thing. And you and me, let's get on our own toes. Monday to Saturday, we talk about every single thing in the world except often not the important things. We need to get back to talking about the important things. We need to get back to seeing in those dozens of places that we go every week and those hundreds of people that we, that we pass by and those thousands upon thousands of needs that are represented in those hundreds of people that we see every week. We've got to get back to the place of saying, God, open our eyes. Let me not just see it. Let me not, we're sending a missions team to South Dakota. We send we send finances, and we send blessings and gifts to the orphanage in Romania. We're doing that mission work there, but God, don't let me just see a child that is hungry and without a home in Romania. Let me see the, let me see the hundreds that I'm passing every week, God. Open my eyes and let me see them. At the end of that song says, I want a second glance. Give me a second chance to see these people as you see them all alone. So, so we, we've got to bear fruit as his people. To have an epic life, live an epic life, we've got to bear fruit. And it's got to be about seeing and about doing. Bear fruit. See them. Do something about it. But there's one, there's one more little thing about it, and it's, it's radical urgency. David Platt wrote a book. Uh, I think the name of the book is Radical. It's about being radical. And in the middle of all this discussion and, and debate and even arguing that's going on about universalism right now, and uh, it's really interesting, you know, that a lot of people saying, oh, this is new. No, this is just warmed over, rehashed stuff. But he kind of jumped into it. David Platt, if you don't know, is a, about 30 years old pastor of Brook Hills Church in, uh, in Inverness. 
He didn't build the church to this huge church that it is today, but they called him at about 28 years, maybe 27 years old, 27, 28 years old. One of their, one of their uh, guidelines in, in hiring a pastor was they would not even interview or even entertain anyone under the age of 30. But as a, uh, just as a favor to somebody, they let him preach, maybe his dad or somebody, they let him preach. And when he preached that night, they knew this was the man God. They had to amend their rules to make this man. Now, this guy, he's a young minister. You know, he's, he's a young minister. I mean, he's a good bit younger than me. Anybody younger than me is young, but this guy's a good bit younger than me. This guy's, this guy's got some amazing insight in some things. And he launched into the fray of this universalism debate a couple of weeks ago when he was on a missions trip in India and he sent a video back that he had made, and he was standing there in the middle of a, in the middle of a, uh, I don't even know what it was, some kind of Indian worship area or something. I don't know. And he, he was standing there. He was talking about all the all the all the people, the, the the millions of people that he was surrounded by in this country that were not going to heaven. And he said they don't know Jesus. And he said, and, and if we believe that people that we are surrounded by people who do not know Jesus and they're on their way to hell then something needs to change about the way we're living our life. And he said, our mission demands radical urgency. Radical urgency. You know what that means? That means doing whatever is needed and whatever is necessary. It means not just doing what is comfortable or what is easy. Have a tough time getting to church today? You didn't have to dodge bullets on your way. We didn't have to sing in a whisper today because we're worried about troops outside coming in if they hear us singing in the name of Jesus Christ. You have a tough time getting here today? Your husband didn't beat you up because you wanted to come to church, did he? There are ladies in church today that that happened to them. Or they know there's a beating waiting when they get home. Have a time. I mean, this is, this is, not, this is not radical, what you and I are doing on Sunday. Millions of people are doing this. All over the world today, sitting here, worshiping him, glorifying his name, reading scripture. That's not radical. That's normal. I mean, in this country, that's pretty normal on a Sunday. I mean, you either sleep in or you go to church. I mean, that's, that's not radical. And the mission that you and I have, is, it demands radical urgency. And that urgency means it demands radical right now, not radical tomorrow, not radical next week, not radical next month. It demands radical urgency right now. This universalism, which, which means that it doesn't matter who you believe in, what you believe, you're going to go to, everybody's going to go to heaven. You know, you can be a Hindu, you can be a Muslim, you can be whatever you want to be. Everybody's going to get to heaven. That's universalism. And this is what David Platt said about it. Intellectual universalism is dangerous, thinking that in the end, everyone is going to be okay. That's dangerous. That's dangerous teaching for, to tell people, look, it doesn't matter what you believe in. Live your own way. You're going to get to heaven anyway. Don't worry about it. That's dangerous teaching. But then he goes on, he says, but functional universalism is, worth, is worse. Living like in the end, everyone is going to be, be okay. Not just teaching. Teaching is bad. But living like it is even worse. And that's where you and I are today. Most of us sitting here right now today, we are living a functional universalism because we walk through every day of our life as if everybody's life is okay and in the end it's all going to work out. We're not challenged. We're not, we're not impacted. Our hearts aren't broken. We can, we can turn a deaf ear. We can, we can 
turn our eyes away from them and not and not think about it and see you, you need to start opening your eyes and look around and let God show you the people in your life that are on their way to hell if something doesn't happen and what's got to happen a radical urgency by the person closest to them that is a Christian and that's you for dozens of people in your life and dozens of places every day and hundreds of people every day and thousands of needs every day. It demands a radical urgency. And if we're not doing this, you know, then we can, we can jump over the universalists all we want to and say, that's a wrong doctrine. They may be teaching it, but if we're not doing something about it, we're the ones that are living it. If it doesn't matter to you that people are dying and going to hell, Oh, well, it matters to me. No, I'm not talking about it hurts you when I bring it to your attention. That's there's sometimes in the middle of the night you wake up and you worry about it. There's sometimes that you're walking down the mall or you're walking down the hall of school at school or, or, or you're, you're there in your cubicle at work or wherever. And, and, and you don't have to have a pastor say, look at that one and look at that one. But, but your own spirit is grieved because there are people around you that are dying and going to hell. And we know all kinds of stuff, don't we? We know all the important things, and we know all the important people. Like, do you know these people? Who are these people? Anybody? Do y'all know him? Who? This is not a trick question. Half y'all are scared, aren't you? Tiger Woods, who is this? Yeah, who is this? Now, I get all those blondes that won American Idol mixed up. I don't know which one's Carrie, which one's whatever, but that's Carrie. Anybody know who that is? You can take away the Auburn. Just, all you got to see is that smile, and you know who, who that is, right? Cam Newton. Who's that? Who? Sandra Bullock. Who's this? All right. Now, I, gotta, I need to talk to some of y'all. Y'all jump too quick. Y'all know her a little too much. And I told Mike to be really careful which picture he gets of her. And who is this? Anybody who's in early service, don't yell out a name. <laughs> don't cheat. Who is this? Anybody know when that wasn't in the early service? Lenny Skutnik. Can you say Skutnik? I want you to remember him. I want you to remember him this week. Not his name. I want you to remember his story. January 13th, 1982. Washington, D.C. After a series of delays due to bad weather, Air Florida Flight 90 is finally taking off. But it's covered with snow and ice and struggles to gain speed. The plane is flying dangerously low over the river. At 4.01 p.m., just 20 seconds after liftoff, the Air Florida jet crashes into the south span of the 14th Street Bridge. The rooftops of some vehicles are sheared off by the plane's landing gear. Four people on the bridge are killed and four others injured. The nose of the plane pitches forward and slams into the Potomac River. All that's visible from the riverbank is the tail section of the plane sticking out from the ice-choked river. Commuters who had been stuck in traffic make their way to the river's edge 
and see that there are a few survivors in the water. A helicopter crew has rescued three survivors of the crash of Air Florida Flight 90, but three more are still in the icy Potomac River. One of the survivors, Priscilla Torado, is groping on the ice, crying out for help. The chopper crew drops a life ring. But she appears to be going into shock, blinded by jet fuel. She struggles to grab hold of the buoy. Finally, Priscilla clings on, and the chopper slowly drags her towards shore. Her head is barely above the water, and moments later, her arm slips through the life ring. Civilian Lenny Skutnik is watching from the riverbank. As soon as the arm comes out, I realize she's not going to make it. Something just hit me. It was another human being in very serious trouble. So I take my boots off and my, my coat, and I dive in after her. Skutnik swims out to Priscilla, just as her head is slipping beneath the surface. And just as I get to her, her face is under the water. I just get her head above water and just start pushing and stroking. Get close enough to the bank to a fireman who grabbed her. She was close enough where you could see the expression on her face. And her eyes just looked wild, and she looked like she was going into shock then. It was just too much to take. I absolutely thought she was going to die if I didn't go in and get her. I believe it's a human instinct. I didn't weigh it or think about it, I just did it. seen that several times yesterday. I watched it quite a few times, but still today, when I see it again, I get chill bumps. Did you see? Right as he got to her, her face went underwater. There were six people that survived the crash. Only five were rescued. One didn't make it. He sunk with the plane a few moments after this. Radical urgency that says it can't wait another second. There were people... On the bridge, not far away, I mean, not far from where the tail of the plane was. They began to throw ropes and anything they had in close by that would float. They ran down to the riverbank and they stood there. They tried to find a raft, some, make some kind of raft or something to get out to some of the people. And no doubt, there were a lot of prayers being thrown out there as well. But eventually it came time. Listen, prayer is always important. And, and, and throwing out lifelines and ropes, kind of like giving offerings, those are important. But there eventually comes a time when somebody has to do something. Somebody has to do something. And we put on this, this facade on Sunday morning. Come on here, get with me. Either get, offend, get offended or something. Do, but please do not just sit here and not let this either offend you or challenge you to be something more for God. But we live our own lives all week long and we dress up on Sunday. And I'm not talking about the physical dress. I'm talking about the spiritual facade we put on to show up on a Sunday morning as if we're God's man because, hey, I'm here to worship him. 
Like Lenny Skutnik did, he took off his coat, took off his shoes, and he dove into the water head first, made a huge splash. It wasn't a perfect dive. I mean, he just had to get out there. It was time for some radical urgency. Take off the facade. Quit wearing your facade on Sunday and start being who you're claiming to be on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Dozens of places you go. Hundreds of people you see. Thousands of needs that walk by you every single day. Would you stand with me and come to the front and let's close right here. Come on. Press in. We've got a good crowd this morning, so come on get close. So everybody can get out of the aisles and get down to the prayer area with us. got to bear fruit. Turn to somebody and say, bear fruit. You need to see hurting people. Turn to somebody and say, see hurting people. And you got to do something. Turn to somebody and say, now do something. Now look at me. Get a radical urgency about it. I'm not talking about next week. I'm talking about right now, today. What does the Word of God say about today? That today is the day of salvation. What that means is it's right now. That means it's not tomorrow. It's not time to wait. Who knows? This past week, three families in our church were touched by death. Who's next? You know, if we had known last Sunday so we could write them down and say, okay, you need to go see this one because they're going to die this week. You need to go see this one because they're going to die. You need to go see this. Who's this week? I don't know. You don't know. Only God knows. And that's why we've got to say, God, open my eyes again. Close your eyes with me for a moment. Close your physical eyes with me for a moment.